Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So in the past few weeks, we've looked into the issues of the soul. The fact that toxic thinking leads to toxic actions and toxic words. And, you know, we've said this all along, but how many know this? We can gauge where our soul is based on our actions and our words. Have you noticed through this series, I've noticed too, through this series, you might say something or do something and you kind of step back and go, whoa, what, why am I saying that that way? Why am I doing that? And you start to assess, oh, there's something in my soul. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're showing me this. It's a trigger. It's something that's being triggered. So I've noticed in my own life, you'll notice in your own life, you'll see these things. And unfortunately, you'll start to notice it in other people's lives. Right? How many have done it? You've been at work and someone says something a certain way. You're like, oh, wow. Wow. Now, what we don't do is go detox, detox. We don't point at them. Right? What we do is we realize, wow. Wow, God. See, this is what should happen. There should be a heart of compassion towards people. This will radically transform the way you see people. So when somebody says something nasty to you, instead of that hitting the trigger in your soul and you react with the blah, you just vomit on them, you know, with words. What happens is we start to check that in ourselves, and we start to have a heart of compassion for people and we go, wow, they're hurting. There's a trigger in there. There's something deep within their soul that needs healing and restoration. And all of a sudden we're like, maybe under our breath, wow, Lord, um, heal that for them. Uh, bring someone across their path to speak to them. Because listen, people don't just wake up one morning and say, I want to be evil. I want to be nasty. I want to be mean. It doesn't happen like that. What happens is we, we have issues in our life. We have these, these toxins, we've been calling them, that build up and suddenly they become these trigger points. And, and what have we said all along? That it's just lies that we believe. So we see lies as truth. And what God wants to do is come in and he wants to first reveal those lies to go, wait a minute, that's, that's not who I am. That's not true what that person said about me when I was six and seven. That's not right. It wasn't my fault. And then Jesus heals that. You release it. But then he says, now here's the truth about you. See, we have to replace the lies with truth, right? So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we, we find that way. He brings us truth. And man, talk about awesome life in Christ. And so that's what he's looking to do. This whole journey that we're on in this life is about the soul. The mind, will, and emotions, and, and renewing the mind and seeing things differently. Today I want to talk about a different subject, though, because we've talked about the toxic thoughts, we've talked about toxic words, but today I want to talk about toxic emotions. Toxic emotions. And, and I think this is another way that we can gauge where our heart is, where our soul is. But here's the deal. Emotions are Okay. Emotions are normal. Emotions are natural. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, we know this, right? But what do we do when our emotions are toxic? When they're negative? When they're steering our lives into the wrong direction? Have you ever, just going back to the idea, someone responds to you or says something to you, and that response starts to come forward, and you grab that wheel, and you start to steer the wrong way, and you're like, no, no, you want to hit the brakes on it. All that means is there's something in there that needs healing. And so how do we pursue that? Um, I think really to be specific, we could look at Psalm 46. I love what the psalmist says here in Psalm 46.10. This is a real good way. If we're going the wrong direction, this is an immediate response to that. And we're going to unfold this as we go on today. 
But the psalmist writes this, be still and know that I am God. Say that with me. Be still and know that I am God. He goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now this word exalted means noteworthy or distinguished in power and glory. So what he's saying is, the whole world's going to see my glory. They don't have to be afraid of it. It's beautiful. It's my love. It's my grace. It's my goodness. The whole world will see this with authority and power. But he says this, be still. The word be still in Hebrew simply means this. Listen closely. It's really deep. Relax. God is saying, relax. I got this. But Lord, all the situation and the circumstances haven't changed. Yeah, they may not too quickly sometimes. But God's saying, relax. I've got this. The NASB says, cease striving and know that I am God. So how do we relax? How do we put complete trust in God? Because that's really what faith is, right? Trusting God. How do we do that? Especially with everything that's coming at us sometimes, it seems like every way. How many of you experienced that before? You're like, how do I relax? How do I rest? But he's, he's telling us something here, a truth, to relax and trust God. So let's look at some answers this morning as we move on in soul detox and we look at this idea of toxic emotions. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. It's an opportunity for us to look into the scriptures. It's an opportunity for us to hear from your spirit. I pray that this morning would not be my opinion, but would be your opinion because my opinion is often off about you and how you see us. I pray that repentance would transpire today. Repentance is changing our mind. We would see things differently and then choose to say, I trust you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. How many love the mornings? I'll just I'll admit right now I'm not a morning person. Like I've had to become a morning person in order to keep a job and pay the bills. Can I get an amen, right? I'm not a morning person. I, I'd rather stay up all hours of the night and then sleep in. That's why I was pursuing a rock and roll career. Because, you know, up all night, sleep all day. But I'm, I'm not a morning person. And now what's funny is I have to get up so early that now around 8.30 or 9, I seem to just become like comatose, like I'm toast. In fact, my wife and I, I don't know if you do this, we have this, this kind of ritual we do. It's very religious. It's called Netflix. You ever heard of it? And so we'll pop that on and we'll put a show on. And I literally think that we turn the show on so that we can go to sleep. Because we're five minutes into the show and then you wake up, you got a crank in your neck, and now you're irritated because you're tired, your neck hurts, half the show's over and you're like, why are we not in bed right now? So you get up and go to bed. But how are mornings at your place? Now think about an average morning at your house and then add into the mix kids. Yeah, see, I, all the parents right there, they reacted. Kids, man, it's, it's crazy. Now, what I don't understand is why kids, whether they're 7, 10, 15, they just don't seem to, to hear the alarm clock. They don't know what that means to get up. And I'm like, get up so I don't have to get up and wake you up. I want to sleep in 30 minutes longer. you got to get ready for school and make lunches because we've trained them well, so I don't have to do it. Moms, if you're still making lunches, train your kids to do it so you don't have to. But you know, why is it that we have to drag them out of bed through the week to go to school, but the one day, let's say you have a Saturday off, so you know, you have a Saturday off, every other day you're dragging them out of the bed, but on that Saturday morning at the crack, no, no, before the crack of dawn, 
They're knocking, our kids don't knock on doors. They don't know what doors are. They jump in bed and they want to snuggle. And I love my kids. But when I have a day off where I can sleep in for an extra hour, I I don't want to snuggle you, buddy. (laughs) Well, the other morning, and I know you're going to be up here, son, so I'm going to tell a story about you. Can I do that? Okay. So the other morning, Aiden wakes up, my seven-year-old, our surprise, our oldest is 29, our youngest is seven, say amen. And so, and so uh, he wakes up and he has this horrible attitude, full-on attitude, scowl the whole deal. And nothing was right. And he comes in and I got him a bowl of cereal and I, I poured the milk in it and I put it on the table. And I said, all right, buddy, come on out. And he's like, hmm. I'm like, what? okay, well, your cereal's ready. And he says, I wanted to pour the cereal. Well, I poured it for you. And then he's like, this is yucky. I'm like, it's the same stuff. you. The milk is not right. I'm like, is there something wrong with the milk? No, I would have put more milk in there. And it was just going on and on. And, and it got to that point as a parent where you say, all right, now I'm going to lay down. I'm going to lay it down right now because it's time. The attitude's gone far enough. It's time for me to make sure that this young man obeys me. How many have been there? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. And so it just kept going on. And I said, that's it. And right as I was about to, you know, send him to his room, time out, ground him, do whatever it is, you know, that we do to get their attention, immediately I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, love him. I'm like, I don't want to love him right now. (laughs) Love him. And so the next words out of my mouth were, Aiden, you know what? He's like, hmm. I said, I love you so much, buddy. Now, in my heart at first, I'm like struggling. He still had a scowl on his face. He's still upset. And I said, no, I'm serious. You don't even know how much I love you. He's across the table. And he kind of has that look. And I said, in fact, I said, I love you all the way to the moon and back. Remember this, buddy? Hey, 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 let me tell the story. Let me tell the story. We got to pause. We got to pause, man. That's good. I love you, buddy. I still love you, even when you interrupt me in the middle of my talk. So I said, in fact, I love you all the way to the moon and the stars in back. And all of a sudden, I saw this little smile creep up on his face. And he goes, well, you know what? He says, I love you all the way to the moon, the stars, Saturn, Jupiter. And then you even say Pluto. And I'm like, Pluto's not even a planet. You're like, but it's far away, dad, and all the way back. And so we kept going back and forth. Before I knew it, we were like on every planet, every star, all the way around the world and back with love. And before I know it, we were hugging and we were kissing. And at one point I look over and he's eating a cereal. I'm like, how's that cereal? He's like, it's good. Thanks, dad. (laughs) Wow. Isn't it amazing what love can do? No, I'm not saying that correction sometimes isn't. We need to take something away or privilege. I mean, but I just felt at that moment that I needed to show him love, and love changed his attitude. Love changed his actions. Do you follow me? See, many times as a parent, I can choose to correct my child in fear or in love. In other words, you will do this because you fear me, or... You will do this because I love you. 
Now, for some of us, we're like, my kid's unruly. Well, maybe it'd take a process of, of, of working through this, but you know, I used to say these kinds of things. I would hear these kinds of things, and I would agree with them, and now it almost makes me nauseated. I'd say, well, it's okay if your kid fears you a little bit, because if there's some fear in there, they might think twice before they do something. But I found that love goes so much further than fear. And see, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, do you know that he disciplines and corrects us in love? Not in anger, not in fear. If God is love, there's no fear in God. And many times we preach and teach and think of a God who is angry, who is trying to cause fear to make you do. Do you follow me so far? What we think about God will either bring toxic emotions or heal toxic emotions. See, I believe the most important thing about us in this life is what comes to mind when we think about God. When you think about God, what comes to mind? Here's a question. What does God want most from you? Now think about this. Don't answer out loud. Just think about this. What does God want from you most? What is he looking for? Now, many of us have heard or said or just right now even thought he wants obedience. Above anything else, God wants my obedience. How about this? Behavior. Above anything else, he wants proper behavior. That's what he's looking for from me. That's an automatic response for a lot of us, right? But truth be told, what he's looking for from you, the most important thing to him is relationship. It's relationship. Because here's the thing. With proper love relationship, your obedience will be an outflow of that. Your behavior will change. See, when, when I used to go to church and, and be in fear and I'd wonder and, and I, I'd struggle with myself and my issues, it would be, okay, I better do this or else God. I better do this because God. And so I would do it. You know, a lot of people, they leave church. They say that the church is the best place to create atheists. Because we create a God who's angry, who's retributive, who's always looking down his nose. He's just looking for a way to get at you when you better obey. That's the most important thing to me. Obey and behave. The most important thing to God is a relationship. Because he knows that his love will start to change our heart. Our mind, will, and emotions, the soul. His love for us will start to change those things. And he will love us to a point where we start to go, well, of course I would, I would obey. Why? Because I trust you. I trust that you have my, my best interest in mind. I, I really believe that you love me. And because of that, I will walk in obedience. I'm going to change these behaviors. You'll start to look at yourself and go, wait a second. What I'm doing, that doesn't line up with the truth that God's revealing to me. I need to choose a different way. But it's his love. Just like with Aiden. I loved him and I loved him and there was no conditions and I loved him some more. Next thing you know, he's enjoying the cereal and he's enjoying his daddy. See, if we could do that in our parenting, it'd go a long way. My wife and I talk about this a lot. The most important thing that we can have or keep with our children is their heart. Amen? We've got to keep their heart. If they know that you love them and you can keep their heart then you'll always have a pathway into their life. Now, I didn't always do the best job. You know, with my older kids, just ask them. I don't know how many uh, apology sessions I had with them because daddy didn't do things right. You know, I, I didn't respond correctly. I had my own soul issues, but it doesn't excuse it. 
And so we have to be quick to ask for forgiveness. It's okay with your kids to say, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, Daddy messed up. Mommy messed up. But I love you. You have to know that beyond anything, I love you. And maybe practice to say, hey, hey, uh, i got to tell you something. I'll do this a lot. Hey, hey, oh, my gosh, I forgot to tell you. I forgot to tell you. What, Dad, what? I love you. Get their attention. Tell them that you love them. And even, dare I say it, tell them that you love them unconditionally. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. I always, always love you. This is the Father's heart towards us, amen? And so I want my kids to see that proper fatherhood, that proper motherhood even. I mean, God's called different things in the Bible which refer to a mother spirit and a father spirit. So we want to see God in the light of his love, not that he's trying to fear you to do things. Now, someone will go, hey, the Bible says, you know, uh, fear is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, that's okay. But the end is love. For some of us, maybe it was that fear, and that word really means reverence and awe. So when you reverence and awe and you focus on him, it's wisdom because you're putting him first place in your life and realizing, wow, I don't have all the answers. But if you want to see the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, then the end is what? Love. That's what God is. And so as we look at this today, I want us to see that we have to get a different picture of who God is. Now, I love this in the message, Psalm 46. Eugene Peterson writes it like this. He says, step out of the traffic. Wow. How many could say, I need to do that sometimes? Just step outside the traffic. You know, how many have ever been in a traffic jam? You know, on 96 or you're heading to Detroit or Ann Arbor and it's like, you're in rush hour and it's like, oh man, it's, you don't want to be there. You just want to get to your destination. Well, a lot of times we're not getting to our destination with God because we're stuck in all these things of life. And he's saying, step out of the traffic for just a moment. And then he says this, take a long, loving look at me. Wow. Wait a minute, God. Yeah, yeah. Get your focus back on me. What does that mean? It means we start to take time to see God for who he really is. And so we step out of the traffic. We take a long, loving look at who he is, what he's about, how he sees us, and the plan that he has for our life. So this is the difference between fear and love. Fear is what you have to do. Love is what he's already done. And it's up to us to see that correctly and to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to walk in what you've already done. Here's the deal. Fear-based living produces toxic emotions. Love-based living produces healthy and whole emotions. How many would say I could use some healthy and whole emotions? So where is your focus? I mean, really, where is the focus? Do we realize what we have in Christ? I think for a lot of us, we, we get so busy and there's so much going on, it's hard to focus on this. But do we realize what we have in Christ? Do we realize the beautiful relationship that we've been invited to? Did you catch that? We've been invited to with Father, Son, and Spirit. I love this in 1 John 4. It gives us this beautiful description of what we've been included in. And I, I want to take a few minutes and read these scriptures. It's quite a few. But I'm going to read it from the Mirror Bible. Beautiful translation. Listen to this. It says in verse 15, for anyone to see and to say that Jesus is the Son of God is to awaken to the awareness that we are continuously, seamlessly joined in oneness. Isn't that beautiful? And thus we have come to know and believe the love that God has unveiled within us. God is love. Love is who God is. To live in this place of conscious, constant love is to live immersed in God and to feel perfectly at home in his indwelling. 
So now, with us awakening to our full inclusion in this love union, everything is perfect. That means everything on the outward is perfect, right? We still go through circumstances, but it's talking about in here. You know that you know that you know that God is good with you. You're good with God. You're in relationship. Nothing can take you out of that. He says its completeness is not compromised in any contradiction. Our confident conversation echoes this fellowship even in the face of crisis. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Our lives are mirrored in him. Verse 18, fear cannot coexist in this love realm. The perfect love union that we are talking about expels fear. I'm trying to get us to see this, that there is no fear in love. If you're walking in fear, if you leave a church building or, or, or some type of establishment where there's been preaching going on about God and there's fear in your heart, it wasn't the gospel, it wasn't God. I'm telling you right now. Now, for some of us, that's hard to take because we feel like the best messages are when you walk away feeling like a heel, unworthy, I better pull myself up by my bootstraps and I got to do some stuff right now or else. That's not the gospel. The gospel is he's accomplished it all, and if you want to walk in the calling he's called you to, then you need to trust in him. And you need to, first of all, trust in the love he has for you. So what dispels fear-based living? What heals toxic emotions? Right here it says a perfect love union. He goes on to say, fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment, which brings separation. Now remember, we learned this, that we were enemies of God, the apostle says, where? In our minds. minds. Want us to get this. Whenever there's a separation issue, it's the way that we see God. Well, come on, pastor. I mean, you know, God can't be around sin. I mean, he's way too holy. I mean, it even says that in, in the Bible. Yeah, but you go on and it says, so why do you then? Who'd Jesus hang with? It wasn't so he could party and sin. He went to the place where people needed the most healing in their souls, right? Well, I remember on the cross, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So, you know, God, he had to turn his back. He, he couldn't look upon Jesus, couldn't look upon sin. That's interesting because we're told that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hmm. If you turn to Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was singing a song on the cross. When you get to the end of that song, he says, You have not hid your face from me. God never turned his back on Jesus. He took all sin up on him and then conquered it. God never turned, you know, I've, I've heard it both ways, like, you better be careful, God will turn his back, or we turn it around and go, you know, God turned his back on Jesus, so he won't have to turn his back on you. No, misunderstanding. We need, we need to clear that up. God never turned his back, but Jesus felt, just like us, have you ever felt like, I don't know where God is, he must have turned his back on me, I do not know where God is in this situation I'm going through, and so we feel as if, Jesus took on human flesh and the incarnation, and he experienced everything, temptation, he he experienced the emotion, he experienced everything that we experienced, so on the cross, I mean the worst day of his entire life, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, I'm sure he felt as if God did, but the truth is God never left his side, in fact he was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. 
I love the book, The Shack. I love the fact that at one point, it's probably one of the best depictions of the Trinity I've ever heard, but it has, it has God, and, and there's, there's Papa with nail scars in her hands to show that I never left Jesus. The cross wasn't punishment to appease a God. You know, the scriptures say, and I'm gonna get a little theological, the scriptures say that we thought he was despised of God, but the truth is, because we say that was God's justice, uh, the uh, prophets and the apostles said that it was unjust what we did to Jesus. And we say that God poured his wrath out on Jesus on the cross. There's no scripture that says that. Do you know who poured the wrath out on Jesus on the cross? We did. That's humanity. That's the world system. It's anger and greed and hatred and retribution. And man, I'll tell you, this guy thinks he's sinless. We'll show him. It says that the principalities and powers were shamed that day. You know what happened? The resurrection was God's big N-O, no, to the way the world's operating. The world should operate in love, peace, and unity. Amen? Amen? That, was, that was free. wasn't even in the notes. It says, fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment, which brings separation in our minds and interprets it as due punishment, a form of karma. It echoes torment and only registers in someone who does not realize the completeness of their love union. Do you see that? You have to realize the love union that you have with Father, Son, and Spirit. Verse 19, probably my favorite scripture. I've got this on my wall in my office. We love, Why? Because he loved us first. God always initiates. He's not waiting for us to initiate. He initiates. We simply believe and respond. It goes on to say, we did not invent this fellowship. We are invited into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. Can you see this? I mean, the Holy Spirit's passion is fellowship. The Spirit loves to connect people. Why? Because life happens in relationship. And that's what's beautiful about this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I mean, they had this loving relationship before all of creation, and they said, let's create humanity and invite them into relationship with us. They weren't creating a creation so they could do some stuff for him. In fact, he set the whole world up. He made it beautiful, flawless. It provided everything. And then he put man into it and said, enjoy. That was his intention. He created us for relationship. And just like you do as a parent, he loves to have relationship with his children. He loves to bless them with things. He loves to give, 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 and give. And somehow we've distorted that face. And we need to bring it back into focus. We need to step out of the traffic and take a long, loving gaze at Jesus. A long, loving gaze at our Heavenly Father. Do you, do you follow me? I know some of you are going, well, what about the correction? What about the correction? Oh, he's correcting me all the time. Repentance happens all the time. He's changing my mind all the time. But it's always in love. He never punishes us for our past. He's always training us for our future. I want to train you here. I want to show this to you. I hate the consequences of sin. That's the wrath of God. It's towards sin. It's towards evil. It's towards those things that have drawn us away, that have made us think that we're separated from him. And he's saying, no, you've never been separated from me. I pursued you for thousands and thousands and thousands of years because I love you and I want you back. I will leave the 99 to go after the one. Amen. 
I will search and search and search for the one coin that I lose because you have value. That's what he's saying to us. It's beautiful. Life happens in relationship. And let me say this. True relationship can only happen within love and care for one another. Relationship can only be built on love and care for one another. And in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul was addressing this idea of loving one another. And how many know when you get into a room full of people, man, I mean, there's instantly going to be issues. I mean, we have different cultures and backgrounds and ways of life and ways we think. So whenever you get a room full of people, there's never perfection. So we work through this, but there always has to be love. So the Apostle Paul here, he's addressing this idea of love for one another and specifically when it comes to diet. Now in this time, there were certain foods that were seen as unclean and certain foods that were seen as clean. And Paul actually said, you know, I'm free enough that I don't have any issues with what I eat. Nothing's unclean to me. But he said this, if it's unclean to someone else, then why would you push them to eat it or eat it in front of them, basically, is what he's saying. I'll give you an example. You know, you, for you, you might go out and grab a beer or a glass of wine. I don't have an issue with that. But maybe there's someone else who's either dealt with alcoholism or it's, it's a conviction in them not to do it. Well, just because you have freedom doesn't mean you're like, dude, I'm cracking open beer just to show you how free I am. Woo, right? Maybe you should put the beer away and walk in love. I don't have an issue with the beer. But, but sometimes we, we try to push our agenda and our convictions on people and we shouldn't do that. Even the other way. If you don't want to drink a beer, don't. But don't point your finger at people who do, right? The Bible says to do not be drunk. Why? Well, I would hate for you to get in the car and kill somebody. There's serious consequences of that. But if you want to have a beer or drink some aspartame, I'm sorry, Diet Coke, I mean, have at it. Do whatever you want to do. Drink whatever you want to drink, right? But you, here's the thing about it. Love is a great way to gauge everything we do. Because if you truly love someone, you're not going to get so drunk that you kill them. Think about it. Love's the gauge. So Paul is addressing this in verse 17 of Romans 14. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, guys, listen, listen. we got to get back to basics here. The kingdom of God is not about what we consume as food or, or, or drink. He's saying it's this, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, this right here shows us the passion of the Holy Spirit toward relationship. Now, the word righteousness means this, right relationship. And, and he's talking about people. Sure, our relationship with God, but he's talking about people. He's saying, when you're in right relationship, it's a relationship that, that functions out of other-centered love, not self-centered. It, it functions out of other-centered love and goodness. It's a mutual respect and an honor for others. So he's like, this is the kingdom of God, people. We respect each other. We have honor for each other. And then he says this. He says, it's also peace, which means the cessation of conflict and strife. It's like at all costs, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop conflict and strife in this relationship. It's the calming of our own inner soul and really the world at large. It's a sense of well-being. Righteousness and peace will create room for joy. This is the kingdom. First of all, saying we're in right relationship. We're good with each other. You might have different opinions on politics and the best foods and all that stuff. But, but none of that matters. Really what matters is the kingdom. 
which operates in what? Love. So he's saying right relationship and peace at all costs, it creates room for joy. What is joy? It's all about gladness and delight. It's freedom to be open to others for fellowship, to share in life together. Now, when I take a little gander around the universal church sometimes, I'm like, I'm not seeing the kingdom happening. How about you? (laughs) Even in my own life. I mean, the the more that you detoxify in your soul and you start to see the way God sees, you start to see things or reactions in yourself and you're like, ooh, I don't really like that about myself. Why did I think that? Why did I look at that person like that? And, you know, the Holy Spirit just says, because you still got stuff. But I'm here. You want to work on that now? I'm like, yeah. I want to be like a Jim Scalise. I remember Jim Scalise. Man, that guy would just, oh, so full of love. Keith Hershey. I remember Keith Hershey. He's coming this year. I've already got him on the calendar. These are guys that just exude the love of God. And, and I want to be that type of person. Not so people can go, wow, he's so awesome. No, so they can go, man, he loves people no matter what. I want them to see Jesus in me. Not so I can get a pat on the back and, and, and these great accolades. It's so people's hearts can be healed and whole. Do we have compassion for others? That's really what it comes down to. The Holy Spirit's mission is the bringing about a fellowship and intimacy with one another. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He says, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your mouth, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Isn't that beautiful? See, that's why we're having this potluck after church. Is there a better word than potluck we could come up with? Freedom dinner? Okay. Huh? Love feast. Yeah. Okay. I know, potluck is just like, oh my God, I hope she doesn't bring that salad. Anyway. Um... (laughs) But that's why we create these spaces, right? That's why we create these things so we can come together and and build relationship together, even not being the same. You know, God's not looking for cookie-cutter Christians. He's not looking for this box. We need to start getting outside the box and being who God called us to be and minister to those people that maybe only we can minister to. And what are we ministering? The good news. God loves you. He's reconciled you. That means he's brought you in the favor with him. And he simply wants you to act like you're a son and daughter. How do you do that? By realizing you are. And then it's a natural outflow of who you are. Because when we really act and pretend, that's hypocritical, right? But that means that we think we're not what we really are. You follow me? I want to look at one last scripture here in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. In verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news to the poor. Now listen to this. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Do you you see the central theme here? It's all about healing and restoration. This is what Jesus came to provide. And now, because his spirit lives in us, now we can choose to live this same life. But it's tough in Western culture, right? We've bought into ideas that God just wants you to have big houses and big cars. Hallelujah, I'm blessed. Nothing wrong with big houses and nice cars, but where's your heart? 
Are we going day to day looking for people? And I'm talking to myself here that we're speaking life into their life, that we have compassion for what they go through. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This word brokenhearted in the Hebrew is the word shavar, and it means broken, wrecked, crushed, and shattered. Jesus came, his spirit came, it's in us and it flows out of us to do what? To heal people who have broken, wrecked, crushed, and shattered souls. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we could say there's areas in our life that are broken and shattered. I know for us guys, it's hard sometimes. We're like, oh, we got this together. I got this. But remember when, when God said, relax, I got this? It's tough sometimes, isn't it? Will you bow your heads with me? As we think on this today, we have a choice, don't we? We have a choice to make. We can choose to accept the invitation to fellowship and relationship or continue to do life on our own. And Jesus is here to say, don't do it on your own. Let me work in your life. I see the struggles. I see the issues. I see what you're going through, and I care. But here's the silly thing about it. He's already invited and included us into this fellowship, but we choose at times to say no. It's right there. We just have to lay hold of it, believe it, trust it, say yes to it. There's a couple reasons. One is sometimes we're not aware of it. But for many of us, it's thinking we're not worthy. What a lie. I want you to realize something today. The only person that can convince you that you're not worthy is yourself. Because you are worthy of his love and of his fellowship. He desires it. He's right there. He says, I stand at the door and knock. He's a gentleman. He won't force his way in, but he's saying to you, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Will you awaken to what I provided and what I've done? And we simply say, yes. So how do we start start to see healing in our emotions? I think it's like this. We we stop with the fear-based living. And we accept the invitation to an intimate love relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this. With your heads bowed, I want you to think about this. If you accept the invitation, your life will never be the same. It doesn't mean every problem goes away. That's a farce. But even with the problems, with the issues, you'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll have a Father who always loves you, whose face always shines towards you. You'll have a Jesus who has saved you and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You'll have a Holy Spirit who will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll go through every issue with you and he'll be convincing you of who you really are in him. We thank you, Father, Holy Father. We thank you for your goodness. You are holy. You're magnificent. You're wonderful. But even in the midst of all that, you desire to be our Father, be our Daddy. We thank you for the relationship that you provided to us through Jesus Christ. It was something that the Trinity did together, a plan they put together to win the heart of man once again because the blueprint on our lives has never changed. It's never changed. There's someone here today who would say, you know, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to live that life. I I want to know more about this Jesus and understand more of what he's called me to and who I am. It's real simple. It's simply believing. 
and saying, I believe this, Lord, and I want to start walking in this. And here's the beauty of it. It's, it's not really hard. You, you just hook in with a good church that loves you and can talk you through things and help you with things. You can open your Bible. You can hear from the Holy Spirit. He really does speak. It's beautiful whether it's through the scriptures or a still small voice, he, he loves you so much that he wants to have relationship with you. He wants to fellowship with you. And it's simply saying yes. So if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, you know what, pastor, I'm going to say yes. I want to pray for you. I thank for all those heavenly father who have said yes today to Jesus. We thank you that the Holy spirit indwells them, that he is their guide. He'll never go anywhere. And I pray that as they go on this journey, they realize that they don't have to do life alone anymore. I pray for every person who's already made that decision. Maybe they're feeling that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling, I pray that your presence would be strong with them right now in Jesus' name. That you're working through those recesses of their heart and their soul uh, where there's lies. I thank you that you are disrupting those areas. You're healing those areas in their soul. And they're starting to see truth about themselves. That they are pleasing to you. That they are worthy. That they're forgiven. That they're accepted. We thank you for this. We thank you for your heart. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.